On the table up here, we have the words, in remembrance of me. You'll see that on about every communion table. Sometimes the table might be large enough, it might say, this do in remembrance of me. I want us to think of the, the me here this morning. Of course, we understand the me is not me. <laughs> and the me is not you. The me is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle begins this chapter by telling the church at Corinth to keep the ordinances as I have delivered them unto you. The apostle Paul had the authority as an apostle to do that. There were ordinances, that's plural. We state to the church there's two ordinances in the Lord's church. One is baptism, the other is the Lord's Supper. In order to participate in the Lord's Supper, there must first of all be a profession of faith and coming forth in a public way to acknowledge your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that you're a sinner and believe you're saved by His wonderful and marvelous grace. Then you're able to join together with the band of baptized believers that you've united with in that and then be a partaker of the Lord's table. The Corinthian church had made a serious error. They had actually begun to mix a natural feast with the Lord's Supper. And the Apostle Paul rebuked them sharply for it. And then he told them, he refreshed their minds of what it was all about. He said unto them, the very night that Jesus was betrayed, the very night he was betrayed, he entered into this supper with his disciples. Both events took place the same night. There was a betrayer among the twelve. His name was Judas Iscariot. He betrayed the Savior, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But that same night, the Lord met with his disciples. And he says he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it unto them and told them, This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup, and having supped himself, he gave it to the disciples, and in that cup was wine. And he told them, drink ye all of it. That is, all of the disciples. They were there. They were all to drink of it. He said, this is the blood, my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He went on then to tell them, for as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me, recognizing that this is the Lord's body that's under consideration here. He said, let a man so examine himself. This is a serious moment, it's a serious time when we all need to examine our lives and ourselves. Because he said, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, and I'll explain what that means in just a moment. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, drinketh damnation to his own self, not deserting the Lord's body. That's what had happened to the Corinthians. They failed to discern this is the Lord's body up here. This is the Lord's life that we're talking about here. You don't mix it with a natural. You don't mix it with a, with a feast to satisfy the carnal appetite and thirst. If you don't discern the Lord's body, if you don't see what's under consideration here. He said, for this cause, many are sick and weakly and some have fallen asleep. The seriousness of this is in that last statement. Well, expression fallen asleep means they died. They died as a result of that. Show you how serious the Lord takes this. 
So the apostle is referring to what we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke we find where the Lord tells his disciples with desire, have I desired to eat the Passover supper with you? Uh, I feel like I can understand a little bit about that with desire. I've had a desire all week long to meet with you and to be a partaker of the Lord's Supper with you. The Passover Supper had been conducted for centuries. Ever since Israel came out of the land of Egypt, the Lord told them to do this perpetually, and so they did. The Passover Supper consisted of unleavened bread and wine and bitter herbs and a lamb that was roasted. And the Lord would take from the Passover Supper the unleavened bread and the wine. That would be the last Passover Supper at the same time the first Lord's Supper, or last supper sometimes we'd like to express it. And the Lord, uh, he kept the law to a jot and a tittle. He crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. He came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And that's exactly what he did. He fulfilled it in that last Passover Supper with his disciples. But then he did something new. He took those two elements again, those two things, the unleavened bread and the wine. And he brought it over here into the New Testament. And so Jesus now becomes our Passover, you see. The blood was put on the signpost and the lentils back there in the land of Egypt, and God passed through at midnight. And where there was no blood, the firstborn was slain. Every firstborn of the Egyptians from the, from the top to the bottom, even of the beast, was slain. But not a single firstborn of the Israelites was slain. They were all delivered and all spared because blood was there. Blood was on the signpost and the lentils, you see. If you visualize that in your mind, it forms a cross. That was pointing to the day of Jesus as the fulfillment of all that being our Passover. So having said that, I want to go to Romans chapter 5 and consider the Lord says, "Off you to do this, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. The Lord's death is on display up here, as you will see it in a few moments of time. We only have two things on this table. We have unleavened bread and we have wine. Nothing else. Nothing else needs to be here. It's a simple picture, but what a story it tells, right? What a wonderful story that it tells. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, when he met those disciples, took that bread once again and he gave it to them and said, Take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. We're talking about a substitutionary death. We're talking about a vicarious death. Somebody dying in the room instead of someone else. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. But we go to Romans chapter 5. And it begins based upon what chapter 4 ends with. In chapter 4 it ends with the fact that Paul said, For he was delivered for our offenses and was uh, raised again for our justification. Therefore, based on that truth, he says we're justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an experiential peace you have in your mind and in your conscience when you understand that Jesus died for you and laid down his life for you and he was resurrected for you. He says, and by whom, talking about Jesus, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in glory and tribulation, for tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. The hope that God gives us, we, we, it doesn't make us ashamed. You know, sometimes we use that word in the natural realm, and the expectations aren't never fulfilled. Maybe you're expecting something each day in the mailbox. You say, well, I hope it comes today. And you go and you open up the lid, and it's not there. You say, well, maybe another day. 
You go check it the next day with the hope and expectation it's in there, but it's, it's not there. And maybe it never is in there. But the hope I'm talking about is something you can hold on to. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says it's the anchor of the soul, and it's both sure and steadfast. It'll stabilize your life here. It's based upon the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts. Notice how that word shed, not spread, but shed. It's not spread abroad in your heart. It's shed abroad in your heart because it's based upon the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says we have access to that grace and this tribulation worth experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. He said, when we were without strength, Christ died. Here's his death. Christ died for the ungodly. That word strength there means strengthless. It means uh, that you have no strength, zero strength. <laughs> okay? You know, uh, maybe you say, well, I just don't have the strength in my hands that I once had. You're not saying you still don't have any strength in your hands. You're just saying it's not what it used to be years past. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe one time it was a 9 or 10. Now you're down to 2 or 3. But the word strength here means zero. Nothing. You have no strength. He says, when we were yet without strength, there was never a time you had any strength. <laughs> when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. That's me. He's talking about what we are by nature, apart from God's grace. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Now, we're talking about being good and righteous according to men's standards. Because Romans chapter 3 tells us there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. Apart from God's grace, there's not a righteous, a good man upon the face of this earth. But according to the standards of men, maybe there's a good man over here, and somebody would be willing to die for him, or a righteous man, and somebody would be willing to die for him. But that wasn't the case. The love of God is matchless. It's simply matchless from that point of view. We were not good. We were not righteous. We were ungodly, without strength, and ungodly, you see. Then he says, for God commended his love to us. Not, he didn't say he commanded his love toward us. He commended his love toward us. The word commend means to make manifest, to display, to exhibit. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, ungodly and now sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's his death again. Okay, then it says, being justified, therefore, freely by his grace, or by his blood, being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. Notice, wrath is coming. But those whom the blood of Jesus Christ was shedding for will not experience that wrath. That wrath is eternal condemnation. Just like when God passed through the land of Egypt, his people Israel down there, the death of the firstborn occurred. But not a single Israelite lost a child, not one, because the blood was the protection of it. And so now being justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, that simply means that now in God's sight, based upon the blood of Jesus being shed, he declares you totally innocent. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Do you feel innocent today? <laughs> he declares you totally innocent. No sin, because God sees you through Jesus he accepted the offering and the sacrifice. Being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. How, if we just remember that and keep that in mind, that we deserve that wrath. 
Surely we do. By nature, we deserve that wrath. By actions, we deserve that wrath. And wrath is going to come, but we will not experience that wrath because we've been justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved us from our sins. I'd like to turn to hymn 134 at this moment and sing this hymn written by Isaac Watts. I want you to pay attention to the words. You know, when we sing, we're to, we're to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So please pay attention to, song, uh, to this hymn. pay good attention to those words and feel like that you wrote the hymn yourself. You know what I mean? He says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, 
Another word to describe us. We've been described as ungodly and sinners and now enemies. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Remember me. If we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The life he lived, the life he gave, the life he offered. That's why you'll live one day with him. You're living now. You're living now, but you're going to live with him in eternity. He's reconciled. That means you had a prior connection. See, before the foundation of the world, God foreknew you and chose you. He elected you in Christ. How that doctrine just is found throughout the scriptures. But Ephesians 1 and 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. You're, you're an adopted child into the family of Christ. You, you've been taken out of Adam's family and put into the family of Jesus. What do you think about that? <laughs> having predestinated us unto the adoption of children of Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his own will. Praise to the glory of his grace when he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Notice he chose us, predestinated us, accepted us, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I was thinking this morning, just trying to say a little prayer. And I said, Lord, I want to thank you for loving me because I know I'm unlovable. I want to thank you for choosing me because I know I'm not choosable. I want to thank you, Father, for dying for me and saving me from my sins. I just want to thank you for the hope within my heart that heaven will be my home one day. I just want to thank you, Father, for your daily care in my life. I know all that God's done for me is based upon free and sovereign grace. Let's sing hymn 325. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Pay good attention to the words of this hymn.
just a few minutes, we're going to ask four of our deacons, uh, Brother Preston and Brother David, Brother Tony, Brother Todd, to wait upon you in passing out um, the bread and the wine. And we won't do it trying to follow the pattern we did last year or last fall. And uh, there are some gloves up here. The brother will put those on and they will take the uh, tray here and pass it by you. And you'll just reach in and take one. And when you do, just hold on to it to begin with, okay? And uh, in a moment, and after that, we will, we will eat the unleavened bread together and drink the wine together. There's unleavened bread on one end and, and wine on the other, okay? And it's usually just real easy to peel it away. But the Lord met with those disciples to eat the Passover supper. That's all he told them. He didn't mention anything about this supper. But while they were there, the Lord made the transition. And the Lord took that bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And such as this right here. And we'll finish that in just a moment. And then he gave it to them and said, Take ye and eat of this bread, this unleavened bread, because leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And so that's why we don't use loaf bread. That's why we don't use biscuits. That's why we don't use rolls. We use unleavened bread. I appreciate Sister Barbara Searcy making this this morning. She does a fabulous job. The Lord's life was sinless. He lived a perfect, holy, righteous, sinless life. And this is the only thing that would represent that. If this represented you or I, then anything else would suffice. But nothing else will be proper as a substitute for this. This is what the Lord used. He used it for a reason. He used it for a purpose. Again, it represented Him. It represented His body, His life. Jesus never sinned in thought, never sinned in His heart, never sinned in emotion, never sinned in action. We're sinners by nature. And unfortunately, we're sinners by practice. This would not represent us in that way, but I'm thankful that this represents represented us on Calvary. Okay, So the Lord took it and he blessed it. If you'll go with me, I'm going to ask the Lord in prayer to bless this uh, this morning for his honor and his glory and for your edification. Our gracious eternal heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity today. We're thankful for this ordinance that you placed in your house to where we can truly remember you that we can enter into communion with Thee and communion with the saints of God, where we can enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we are partakers of this unleavened bread, may we remember Your words that this indeed is Your body, which was broken for us, the sufferings that's represented in this bread, uh, the life that's represented in this bread. May we be able to focus entirely upon it and meditate and have Wonderful thoughts concerning this. May it cause our hearts to be more thankful than ever before for what you did for us. We're so thankful that we have thy church where we can come and hear the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news and glad tidings about our Savior that was willing to leave heaven and come here and die for us. Again, at this moment, we pray that you'll give us the strength physically and spiritually to enter into this service in such a manner and way that surely you will be praised and honored in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Brother Preston, uh, David, Todd, and uh, Tony, if y'all will come up, please. Any member of the church been overlooked? Just ask everybody to take the uh, top part off where the bread is. gave the unleavened bread to his disciples and told them to take 
and to eat of it, for this is my body which is broken for you together. This saying him five forty six. Five forty six. After they ate the bread, the Lord then took the cup, and having supped, he gave it to them and told them, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for the removing of sin, the remission of sins. And so we'll do as disciples did. together.
if you'll bow with me again. Our righteous Heavenly Father, we thank you for granting us this opportunity. Thank you so much for this service that enables us to focus our attention entirely and completely upon you. We're thankful that we can remember you in this manner, in this way, to remember your everlasting love, to remember the love that you have for us. It can never be taken away, a love that enabled the Lord Jesus Christ to leave heaven's pure world and come here to this earth and to endure the cross, to endure the shame for the joy that was set before him. And we believe that joy was the redemption of thy people, the joy that Jesus had in knowing that he had ransomed his children and one day would bring them home. The joy that he knew he had in dying for his bride in a manner and way that would save her from her sins and bring her into heaven to spend eternity with him. We thank you for that, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, again we ask and we pray. Amen. I'd like for us to sing one more hymn, kind of to close this part of the, the service out. Let's turn to hymn number 201. The psalmist said, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. When I awaken thy likeness, I'll be satisfied. Satisfaction is something that we're all very much lacking in. If we think we're satisfied, we know it was only temporary, it was just for a short period of time. But I'm talking about a satisfaction now that will never end. When you get to glory, you'll be satisfied. You might say, well, what, what's heaven going to be like, Brother Lawrence? Well, we have a lot of things in the Bible to help us out in that regard, but one thing I can tell you about right now, you'll be satisfied. Okay, so let's sing this hymn, 201.
pretty satisfied right now. <laughs> but I know my weakness and I know my frailty. And I know in a couple of days, having to face the battles of this old world here, I need to be reminded time and time again of the blessings that the Lord has given to me and the blessings of this service that we've enjoyed thus far here today. In John chapter 13, the opening verse we find where it says, When supper was ended, Jesus, knowing the time had come, he should depart out of this world to be with the Father. He loved his own which were in the world, and he loved them to the end. That's a lovely verse for me. When Jesus knew the time had come, he should depart out of this world. Jesus came to this world from a place called heaven. Can you imagine going from heaven to the earth? Uh, we talk about going from earth to heaven, but Jesus went from heaven to earth. He left whatever eternity is to come down here to be with us and to show his love for us and to live his life for us. But now he knows it's just a short time and he's going to leave and go back to be with the Father. It had to be wonderful for him. But he's not through. When Jesus knew the time of his departure had come to depart out of this world to be with the Father, he loved his own which were in the world and he loved them to the end. I, I love the love of God because God's love is not going to stop short. God's love is going to always be there. God's love is never going to fail. God's love is an everlasting love, eternal love. He's going to love us all the way to the end. He may not love a lot of things we do, unfortunately, but he's going to love us all the way to the end. And it said he laid aside his garment. He poured water in a basin. He took a towel and girded himself with it. And he knelt down and began to wash the feet of the disciples. The apostle Peter asked him a question. He said, what doest thou, Lord? The Lord said, Peter, what I do now thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said, Lord, thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, if I wash not your feet, you have no part with me. He won't talk about eternity, but he's talking about here, participation, fellowship. When Peter heard that, he says, well, Lord, not my feet only, but you can wash my head and my hands. You can wash them from top to bottom all the way. <laughs> but Jesus didn't need to wash the head. He didn't need to wash the hands. He didn't need to wash the feet. And this is one of the most amazing scenes to me in all the Bible. How that the Son of God, God's beloved Son, could condescend so low. How God's beloved son could kneel down to the feet of sinners. Him being sinless himself, righteous and holy. But he could bow down and wash the feet of those disciples in a pan of water. The Lord of Lord and King of Kings is going to kneel down and do this. I think when Peter said, Lord, thou shalt never wash my feet, I just think Peter felt unworthy of that. How could, how could the Lord possibly condescend that low. But the Bible tells us that those of, you know, of high state should condescend to those of low estate. And Jesus is the perfect example. He, he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. But the Lord here is going to demonstrate something very important to them because incredible as it is, when the Lord had told them that he was going to die, some of the disciples begin to talk among themselves, saying, well, who shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's, that's an incredible question. How could they even think such a thing, much less ask it? The Lord knew they needed a lesson in humility. He knew they needed a lesson in service. 
Greatness in God's kingdom is not being above everybody, but being down below everybody, getting down to where your fellow brother and sister is at. And Jesus, the king of all kings, the creator of the entire universe, the creator is going to wash the feet of the creature. The savior is going to wash the feet of the sinner. The king is going to wash the feet of the subjects of the kingdom. And he washed their feet. If you can visualize this scene once again, we got a picture uh, there between the library and the church. I'd like for you to pass by and just take a look at it. It, it just, uh, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And that picture tells the entire story. It's, a, it's a, an example Jesus gave concerning the love that we're to have for each other and the friendship and the fellowship and companionship and the willingness, again, to be at our brother's feet and not feel like we're better than anybody else. And Jesus taught them that lesson. And Jesus watched all their feet. When I think about Jesus doing that, why should I have a problem doing it? When I see Jesus, my Lord and Savior, willing to do that for me, why should I have a problem with doing something such as that? Very few people down through the centuries of time, and even this present day in which we live here, practice what we're about to practice in just a moment or two. Somebody says, Brother Lawrence, why, why do y'all do that? I'm about ready to tell you. Okay, I knew you wanted to know. When the Lord got through, he says, he put his garments back upon him and he sat down, he says, unto them. He says, you've called me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. He says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you talk about them? Happy are ye if you just think about them? No, he said, happy are ye if you do them. There's where the happiness comes in. The Lord's blessed me over the years. No telling how many times I've entered into this service. I did it last weekend over in North Carolina. And it's always such a wonderful, special time to be able to, in action, just prove Prove, try to prove to my brother how much I love him and how much I respect him and how I want to walk with him hand in hand as we walk along the journey of life. That's what it's all about, right? Let's sing 410. Now before we sing this hymn, let me just say as soon as we finish singing this hymn, we'll go into the other part of the building. Everything's ready. Chairs are there. We I know we have a couple of people who hasn't participated in this before, and I sure look forward to engaging with you in this. Brother Brad, you and I, Lord willing, okay? Um, but just fill in. As you go in, just fill in. Ladies first. <laughs> and then on the other side, the men. And we'll do what the Lord told us to do. That's, that's all I know to tell you. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. The Lord said you need to do this. I've given you an example. He says that you should wash one another's feet. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I'm, I'm about ready to get happy. <laughs> okay. All right, Brother Junior. Let me stand.